Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from Ford Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bolt, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars hello and thanks for joining us on the show this week a couple of interviews we did at homebush following a interesting weekend there erebus motorsport v8s is one of the teams that has made a lot of headlines since the end of the year announcing that they're closing up the queensland shop and heading down to melbourne still speculation on whether they'll be running the mercedes or running a walkinshaw prepared car for 2016 so we had a chance to sit down with daniel clemenko as Betty was uh, not in the best of voices during that Sydney weekend, so Daniel and I had a, a great opportunity to talk about all things relating to Erebus. We also caught up with David Reynolds after his last race with ProDrive and discussed, of course, now whether he'd be moving to the Gold Coast or staying in Melbourne, and he certainly st- spoke openly about that, as you'll hear in this interview. Dave Reynolds, 2015... How do you look at it at the very closing moments of your racing with ProDrive Racing Australia with Bottolo and, and reflect on that time? Uh, yeah, you know, like, it's kind of an odd feeling today because today I had my very last race with ProDrive, with Ford and with Bottolo Racing and I've had this, this sort of same combination for the last four years and, you know, I've built myself a really good name, career and um good brand with myself and the car and the team and everything and it's sort of sad to you know to have my last race with them but you know i've made some awesome friends had some really great times you know poles wins third in the championship you know we've had a great time and and yeah and um it's really sad to see it all i have to say goodbye to everyone your new team's in queensland you've got a life in melbourne you've got a business that you're part of in melbourne i'm not Oh, you're not part of it anymore. Let's start that again. You've quite well known as being a Melbourneian. Yeah. And your new team's in Queensland. Does that mean there's going to be a, a major change in lifestyle for Dave Reynolds? Mate, I, honestly, I don't know. Um, I've lived in the same street for 11 years, and I like I like the idea of moving and changing my lifestyle just to to suit my career in racing so you know I'd, I'd act, I'd, honestly I'm, I'd, if they stay in, in Gold Coast I will move for, I'm going to look at it definitely mm-hmm. of course they do have the GT program down in yep. Melbourne so it's interesting to see how they will shape up uh, yeah I think that's going to play out in the next couple of weeks and I'll sort of know where we're sitting but yeah I'm, I wouldn't mind moving at all not at all the relationship between a driver and his crew chief is critical do you know where you're sitting with that uh, not really, not yet. There's still parts we've got to play out. And any idea what the car's like to sit in and how you're going to... No gonna... idea, man. It's all brand, brand new for me. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a bit different, but I'm um, looking forward to it. Well, have a great Christmas. Uh, look forward to seeing whether you're moving or staying, and 
We'll see you in 2016. Thanks, Greg. Cheers. Daniel Kalenko is up next here on Inside Supercars. I hope you'll stay with us. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. The Erebus ride this year has been a very interesting one. How is your perspective on 2015? Well, I think 2015 is pretty much like 2014 and 2013. They're all interesting years. I mean, motorsport, uh, there's nothing guaranteed in motorsport, so you, you, anything you can guarantee is you turn up to uh, face the pain. And uh, sometimes the pain is, uh, is glorious, sometimes it's, it's, it's debilitating and... Uh, you know, this year we've had our wins, we've had our losses. I mean, we've been amongst it. Um, you know, you'd like to win more, but at the end of the day, at least we've had a win. You know, I think out of the uh, the new manufacturers, we're the only ones that had a win this year. So small little goals, but, you know, long-term goal is still a five-year plan and uh, we're still inside the five years. How has that five-year plan tracked against what you started with, though? Was two wins over the, the three years so far where you thought you'd be at? I think it's actually ahead of the curve. I mean, if you look at the paddock, there's there's groups of people here who have never actually had a win. I mean, a podium is probably their highest achievement. And even, you know, podiums don't come very often. I mean, there's 20, at the moment there's 25 cars on the track and only one's going to win. And, uh, you know, we've been lucky enough this year there's been nine, you know, different winners. Um, previous years we've had less. So, you know, if you can be one of the nine or, or one of the winners... Um, you actually don't walk away feeling as bad as the year. At least you, you had your moment, you know, which not everyone gets. You've had a lot of change in the team and in the structure. How is that all starting to bed down now, or is there still a lot that has to happen in the off-season before 2016? I think motorsport is a constant uh, change and evolution. I mean, whether it's the car or the crews or the sponsors or the category itself. I mean, we're constantly evolving, you know, fine-tuning our product uh, as, a, as a general product. So I don't think we ever stop evolving and fine-tuning. I mean, I know from our, our team perspective, you know, a lot of our fine-tuning, some of it's been forced on us, some of it's been a natural evolution. I mean, you you just take the ride and you, you keep adjusting and moving. It's no different to any race weekend. So what are the big-ticket items to get through from Sydney to Eclipsal next year? As per usual, it's the usual commercial back end that you spend a lot of time on. It's just with the season the way it plays out next year, we actually do get a bit more uh, business end. You know, at the moment now we spend so much time racing that the business gets squeezed around the racing. Where at least next year with the calendar and the mid-year break, we get a lot more business done. Uh, from a racing perspective, it's the usual off-season. We're there about getting the cars ready, doing the uh, off-season development, making sure that we turn up at Clipsal with our, our, our best foot forward. And obviously one of the biggest changes visually this year is uh, both cars have got very different liveries and have different branding on them to what we certainly saw at the start of the year and even over the the previous two years. No different to the evolution of motorsport. Uh, Sponsors come and go. Uh, Some come on with small little uh, agendas they need to achieve. 
Others come on not knowing the sport, and some you actually have to educate through the process. Uh, we've been lucky to get Penrite and Wendy's this year, um, both Australian uh, companies. Uh, Penrite are actually celebrating 90 years next year, so it's great to be involved with a long-standing company that hasn't been bought out by a, nas- a multinational. Um, they've got a great uh, on-track activation, and uh, you know to be involved with brands like that is fantastic. And it's also great that they're brands that haven't technically been involved with the sport in the last couple of years, so it's great to bring in you know, new people to uh, enjoy the sport. So is Penrite going to be staying on? At this stage, it seems they'll be on for next year. To what capabilities or what level, we're not sure yet, but uh, we have definitely been building a great relationship with them, and uh, you know, we'd love to see it go on for forever. But uh, you know, as companies go, they, they evolve their marketing strategy, so... You know, the plan is to have them next year. To what level, we're not sure yet. We're still in negotiations, but uh, I think you'll find Penrite on the car next year. Mm. Wendy's, your other sponsor, has been in a bit of a brand repair mode since about, what, the middle of this year when they had all sorts of franchise problems. Obviously, this is a good way, using the racing team and part of that leverage, to help repair some of that damage. Well, it's funny. Wendy's has actually got a new owners as a, a franchise ownership. And uh, with the new ownership coming in, they thought they needed to redirect themselves and re, uh, rebrand and let the you know, people be aware of the brand because we, we do forget these brands have been around and we see them in every shopping centre, but we actually forget that they're an Australian brand and you know, they, they have a product. And you know, if we don't support their product, then they, they fall off the, off the shelf. And that's no different to what happened with uh, the Quinns and Darrell Lee. They saw an, an icon product and saw it needed rescuing, and they've done a fantastic job with that, and hopefully the guys at Wendy's can do a similar. You guys have always had a love of GT racing. What's it like now that the organisation you're involved in and have a share in is now part owner of the race? The V8 event management that uh, have now taken on the event management rights of the 12-hour. From what we have led to understand, the, the arrangement for the V8s taking over the event management uh, of the 12 hour means that for the next 12 months nothing changes what happens after that 12 months we'll wait and see what VH do to add their shine onto it um, from a, a GT perspective hopefully VH just enhance the product we don't need to change the product that much um, I think what the GT event offers is something that V8s are, are very keen to have which is manufacturer involvement and the manufacturers that are involved in GTs you could honestly say 80 to 90% will never be here as V8 teams. Their product doesn't fit. But it'd be nice to have them in their paddock when we're here doing... It's no different to the Ute category. I mean, the Utes, with the evolution they're looking at for... I think it's now 218. Um, they will also get more manufacturers here that won't be here in V8. So it'd be nice to have the Utes, the GTs and the V8s all bringing all these manufacturers in. So technically we could have you know, at least 70% of the world's manufacturers here in these events. They've been asking us, I can't talk, but they've been asking us our opinion. Coming to us and saying, okay, you've done the 12 hour for so long, what can we do to make it better for the people? What can we do to. That has been a really, you know, like a really amazing uh, turnaround. The big thing I would say is V8s have taken on this project with probably the the best manner possible. They've, They've gone in not trying to rock the boat, they're trying to learn what makes GT tick. I mean, you remember GTs probably... I mean, looking motorsport on a world terms, uh, there's more GT races in more locations than any other form of motorsport. I mean, Formula One, GTs race everywhere a Formula One track is. Um, plus, they do the, the street circuits in Barcelona and the Hungarian 12-hour. And I mean, literally, you start in Dubai and you finish uh, Abu Dhabi. 
and that's your season. In between, there's 12, 6s, 24s. You know, you can take those cars anywhere in the world, minor adjustment on your BOP, and you're ready to race. And, and critically, as you said, they've got one race, but it is a, a very iconic race, and it is now one considered one of the world great, world's great endurance races, and it's only been in this format and guys for, what, five years at the most? Exactly. Um, it was really strange when the 12-hour, uh, originally it was a 24, but then when that fell over, the 12-hour got reinvented. Um, in the beginning, it, it wasn't uh, the world attraction that it is now. Um, Audi came out and put out two factory teams, did the uh, two years in a row. Um, they were going for their three-peat, and we were you know, lucky enough to get on top of them that year and, and spoil their victory party. And since then, uh, the, the category, that event, has just got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where the, the grid is oversubscribed every year now. And uh, it's on everyone's bucket list. I mean, in GT racing or motorsport sport racing in general, anything at Bathurst is in the top five whether it's the 1,000, 12, 24, people will go for a go-kart race at Bathurst. It's that important. And they're about to build a track there too. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, but uh, Bathurst is like, when you go to somewhere like Spa, Nürburgring, Bathurst, they're, they're events that they have an atmosphere before you've even got to track. As you're arriving to the track, you can feel the energy, the life of the, of the track. And I mean, everyone knows that feeling they get when they drive across the bridge going into Bathurst and they look up and see the sign on the hill. You know, it, it's a familiar feeling that makes you feel you know, nice and warm inside. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. To then have KL coming up next year, which is a GT3 race, you've got the supercars going over there as well. Have you considered running both? We actually considered running uh, this year, but uh, with the time frame we had, and we also had our cars uh, leased out to drivers in Australia, so we didn't want to uh, destroy someone's uh, race weekend by not having a car there or having a car get damaged overseas. But uh, no, it's always on our agenda. I mean, we're always looking at each year trying to add an international flavour to the uh, GT category. I mean, we've done Zoo High, we've done Macau. You know, we've been trying to go back to Macau every year since, but unfortunately Highlands and Macau always have this overlap with the cars requiring to be there for displays and exhibitions pre-race and post-race. So with all the shipping and moving around of cars, it's, uh, it gets hard to pick and choose which events you want to do. Also, we, we do enough racing in the year that you end up spending you know, week-to-week racing, whether it's, you know, you, you go from, like if you're doing the Spa 24, you actually go from uh, Spa 24 to Ipswich literally within days of, of each other so you know you have to plan it out and logistically it is a nightmare to get it right but uh, no, we're always looking at anything overseas it's you know you've got to be small minded to think that this is all that racing is I mean you'd like to also test yourself on tracks you've never been to some of these iconic tracks are oh, definitely worth the challenge also it's a test against you against some of these factory teams from Europe who you know, you can see the budgets. There's nothing spared in the budgets. They're Formula One trucks. They've got everything passed down from the top level of motorsport. But being in Australia, we don't get that. And 
it's not to belie what we do here. We have still got one of the best motor racing series in the world too. It's just we are so far away from everyone else and they only get to see what happens here at, at the Melbourne Grand Prix and then the occasional foray overseas. It's very strange. I mean, when you are dealing with uh, overseas categories, and you know, especially like with our customer sports program with Mercedes-Benz or HWA, um, we have to know what we're going to damage well before so we can get the spares in. It's very hard logistically to plan your season out and prepare yourself for Eclipsal, which is a, a high-incident high track. You know, we've got Melbourne Grand Prix the next year, which would be fantastic to have the, the SLS, the new GTS, and the V8s running around on the Formula 1 calendar. I mean, turn 12 for the Mercedes corporate. You know, they'll be very um, excited. They'll be locked for the brand support. You know, hopefully they do embrace it. Mm. And what about KL in itself? To be going over there as uh, another international foray? I think it's fantastic. I mean, we were lucky enough to be part of the exhibition and we did make the comment that the teams that didn't go are in for a culture shock because the heat soak that you get on the cars is just incredible. The humidity is debilitating if you're not ready for it. And the amount of uh, extra work you've got to do on, on ventilation and cooling and even just you know, the constant hydration you've got to put your crew through just to survive the weekend, it's going to be a tough challenge. But, I mean, I was lucky enough to do a hot lap with Will at that track and it is a busy track. Very, very, very busy um, and very dangerous. I mean, it's not quite Macau, but it's not far from Macau. It could eventually be another Macau. I mean, Macau has an iconic uh, nature about it where, you know, anyone who's been there and raced there, they walk away saying it's a widow maker. But you'd always want to go back if you can. It's that type of track that just, you stand in pit lane, your legs are trembling, and you're thinking, I hope someone doesn't die. But the racing is fantastic. Any track that has a permanent double-wave yellow corner is uh, something to be uh, certainly treated with a lot of respect. Yeah, it's just a shame that uh, they don't have the hairpin at, uh, in KL because that uh, Melco hairpin sets up so much racing there that, uh, as you said, with the double yellow permanent, um, I, mean, I remember going in F3s in 2001 and the amount of cars that crashed out, I mean, Delara made a fortune selling tubs. <laughs> You know, they were just, you know, containers full of tubs that got sold that weekend. So, you know, if, if KL can evolve into something like that, it'd be fantastic. It's good for the region. I mean, it's great that, uh, as you were saying earlier with GTs, uh, Bathurst, Sepang and Spa is now part of the, what they call the Manufacturers' Cup, which is great. So the manufacturers are going to be actively putting teams in this event, knowing that there's a bit of bragging rights for them, as well as the, the winning the event. So it's only going to grow, and I, you know, this year they, they classified Macau as the World Drivers' Championship, which was, was pleasing to see Maro do it at two for two, He's you know, two years in a row. It should have been a three-peat, but uh, unfortunately the year we ran with Maro, we were unlucky enough to get a flat tyre two and a half laps from the end, and unfortunately that's racing, and at Macau you don't try and limp back because you just create a bigger incident. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's nice to... Um, yeah, to, to yeah, see what goes on. Like, Morrow came out and did V8s, and it was a shame that, you know, unfortunately, the wreck, we didn't have it for the next year. We'd love to have ran Morrow again because we, we think is a talented driver. He just didn't get to show it. I mean, if anyone saw the 12-hour of the year after he left the V8s, he slammed it on pole. He you know, broke the lap record. Uh, it did get beaten in the race, but it was a, we, you know, we did win the inaugural Alan Simonson Trophy, which I think meant a lot to us as uh, GT competitors and knowing Alan and what he has done from the you know, GT racing. It was, uh, we were quite proud to win that the first time out. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page.
Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. And you spoke about going for a lap with Will. How disappointing personally was it that Will wanted to, to make a move? See, we don't actually look at it as disappointing. I mean, with motorsport, whether it's crew, drivers, sponsors, everyone's got their own agenda, their own pathways. I mean, no one... You, you don't burn bridges. And the, the, the thing with Will is we actually left on good terms. It was a situation we sat down and we, we assessed our contracts. We went, well, how's everyone sitting with what's going on? How do we feel about it all? And it came around that, yeah, at that point in the time, not that Will wanted to leave, but he had ideas in his head that he was thinking about and we we said to him look if you want to explore these ideas explore them come back and see us you know we want you to drive for us but if you feel you need to move to another car or or whatever you need to do we're not going to stop you it's you know you can't um, you can't get precious in this sport the only time you think you'll get precious is when you have straightforward agreements yeah, but if, if the straightforward agreement can always be worked around if you're prepared to talk and negotiate, and that's the thing, we're, we're, we're wise enough to realise Will wants a championship today. We can't give it to him today. We might be able to next year, but there's no guarantees, and he's chasing that sooner because he's realising he's getting older and he wants to get it out of the way. You never want to leave it till too late in your career, so... Yeah, we actually there was no hard feelings. It was actually quite uh, bizarre that we actually all walked away with not smiles on our faces, but all with a happy understanding of where everyone's coming from because there was it was nice and straightforward, nice honest discussions. I mean, no one there was no yelling, no screaming, no tears. It was actually quite a simple discussion. It's unusual in the paddock. I was about to say it sounds a lot more mature than what normally would carry on. Uh, it was even funnier when you look at the uh, Dave Reynolds situation. I mean, a good example of that is the initial deal was a hug and a handshake, and the paperwork would follow. Which you know, you try and tell people that in paddock, you know, that you actually sat down, had a talk, and went, "That sounds cool. Everyone's in agreement. So let's get the paperwork to match it." David has a record of not signing the paperwork, though. He actually is a. Uh, he's a bit like us. We would rather not have the contract if possible because it's useless. It's just a piece of paper you need when something goes wrong. Generally, everything should be able to be worked out. You know, you should be able to talk things through. You know, there's nothing that can't be talked through. You know, in business, you've got to realise that you may not get on with someone today, but you might have to deal with them tomorrow. And it, you can't hold grudges. You can't take things personal. It's business. Yeah, and that's where yeah, some of the fans actually do get a bit personal with their love for the brands and stuff, and they don't see the business aspect of it, where they always have this, why isn't this guy doing this? Why isn't this happening there? And... If they knew the back-end business, they'd understand that it's, it, these things are out of control. You know, you can't control certain things. They're business aspects that must be met. You know, no different to sponsors' budgets. And, and that's the key thing. The people are invested in the racing, but the racing doesn't happen without all the other pillars and, and all the other building blocks in well, and around it. We're a unique business. I mean, we're actually a sports entertainment uh, yeah, like we're, we're actually we're, we're a business, we're, we're a sport, we're entertainment, and we're a competitive sport. 
but uh, there's very few sports that have that hold uh, cover every tangent of society. If you look at what goes on in the paddock here, we have caterers, masseuses, sports psychologists, media people, journalists, uh, uh, videographers, you name... There's not a group of... You know, we even have, like If you look at some of the crews, some of the guys' background... I mean, in our GT, we have guys who are plumbers, electricians, panel beaters. I mean, there is nothing we don't touch in the paddock. I mean, especially when you're talking from the media point, from the, the networks all the way through to the teams... We have covered pretty much every occupation that's out there in today's form, and whether you're a computer tech to whatever, you are required here. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, we're a bit of a circus. Mm. But, uh, of course, it's the passion of the fans that have given it such cachet, as, as opposed to, you know, for the years you were in GT only, there was a very loyal and dedicated fan base here it's almost like a feral lust <laughs> for what goes on. Well, it's funny. GT's more of a purist sort of passion, and I find V8s is very tribal. It's probably the best way to put it. Uh, I mean, the, the red-blue uh, battle's been going on forever. Um, since the new manufacturers have come on, the fans have had to understand the evolution of that battle. It's no longer just the red and blue. There's other colours on the grid. You know, there's Volvo blue. There's, you know, what are we, black or silver? You know, you've got Nissan who are, you know, the red and white. I mean, everyone's brought their, their tribal colours out. And the fans are evolving to the point where they're, they're, a lot of the fans who have previously holding or forward are now having their second favourite team. You know, if we can't win, we want you to win. And sometimes it's over another uh, common brand. You know, if they're a Holden fan but they're Red Bull, they'll, they'll want us to beat the other Holdens but not the Red Bulls. It's, it's quite funny how the, the tribal aspect is being divided up even further and now you're getting families who are coming in and they're, they're supporting three different manufacturers. It's quite funny when you see all the different gear amongst the family and it's, it's like, you know, you know, they must have some amazing arguments around the television. <laughs> Particularly with Red Button if there's uh, conflicting in-cars. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to watch Frosty or, or Jamie or Craig yeah, you know, or their, you know, their favourite driver. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful thing about the coverage. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the Foxtel deal that's going on, but uh, for the survival of the sport, you have to be on pay TV. Unfortunately, they are the only ones that are investing in sport. Uh, also, if you're looking at uh, the numbers, yeah, and there's a lot of talk about the cost of it, but if the fan would say, look, I go to five events, I drop one, they could buy the package for the whole year as well as give the kids cartoons, the wife can get the you know, cooking channel, the, you know, discovery, learning, whatever you want to have. You know, there's the history channel, there's so many programs out there that if they looked at it as a package, the whole family could enjoy that package, plus every motorsport in the world that's worth watching is on Fox. And I... It became ludicrous last year when it was on three different channels of the one network in the one day. You know you only have to go to one place. If, if you're out, you can record it. Or if you don't have pay TV at, what is it, 4 o'clock on the Sunday, you can spend the day with your family, keep away from social media and every other device and and then just watch the package. Well, it's funny. Most people in the paddock would probably record, you know, they use their digital recorders at home to uh, record this weekend. So we'll all get home and we'll watch it through the week because you see certain... You see the event differently at the track when you're actually in the paddock. You know, the coverage we get on the big screen is different to what the TV would get. So we actually sometimes have to look at the coverage to see how the fans have actually perceived the weekend because we perceive it differently from the paddock. We're looking at numbers, we're looking at data, we're not actually watching the, the stream that goes out to the, to the masses. So we you know, do make a point of trying to watch it, but with you know, last year it was very hard because 
it would be on 7, 7 mate and 7 2. And then they'd also do the pre-record of qualifying, but then they'd only show you five minutes of a 10-minute session when it was pre-recorded. And as much as the fans loved that free-to-air, you know, live and free, it was not live. It was it was a lot chopped out of it, and you actually lost a lot of the racing. You'd always seem to find an ad would pop up right where something interesting was happening. Then they'd have to go back and replay all that. And by the time they replayed that, you missed the next three incidents. Where with Fox, you know, it was only in the Enduros they went to the small box. Up till then, it was ad-free. And if you like your motorsport, you'd turn it on when the event started and you'd get the, you know, the Formula 4, the GTs, Aussie race cars, the Utes, the DVS, the Carrera Cup. I mean, it was one of those things, if you were a true fan, you'd just put the TV on in the morning and leave it till it finished. And, you know, I've you know, spoke to a lot of fans who have since gone and bought it, and a lot of them are saying it's the best thing they've ever done. But it was the, the whole stigma of going to pay TV that was the, the biggest thing. If they told their friends in the pub they were going to get Fox. Their friends would probably you know, say, oh, you're you know, a bit stuck up, you've got too much money, you know, whatever. They, they would have been brought down to you know, you know, the tall poppy trop. But uh, you know, the, the, those that have taken the risk and stepped across have realised that not only are they getting their motorsport and any other sport that they're interested in, I mean, Fox Footy's been uh, a private channel for a long time, and the AFL fan is is more, yeah, you know, in that that we want it live and free than any other group of spectators. So, you know, if they can accept Fox Footy and it's been around for a while, we should accept it. I mean, we did have the Speed Channel previously, which was fantastic, but Fox Sports with its Fox Five is now doing uh, it's it's a satellite Speed Channel. Mm. We talked about quite a bit but we haven't actually talked about the development academy how's that progressing and how have you seen that working throughout your other you know, your headliner brands gt and versus i think the uh, academy had its high point it's probably highlands this year where anyone who was there or saw the coverage uh, saw young jack who was probably our first uh, recruit in the academy i mean we ran jack in aussie race cars utes uh, gts I mean, we've even had him on crew. I mean, he's that type of kid that you, know, you throw him everywhere and anywhere. He, he's just a joy to work with. But uh, we put him in the, de- in the develop- uh, development series last year. He did a few races. And this year he's with uh, Matt White, having a great year. I think he'll probably finish third in the championship, um, which is not bad for his second season in there. He's really stepped up considering where he was last year. But he actually uh, raced in the Highlands 101 in the, in the GT race there and minimal sessions at a track he's never been to uh, basically he kept Shane Van Gisbergen behind him for over 20 laps with a car that had pretty much minimal brakes uh, it was, the brakes were shot and he was able to hold him up to about lap 99, lap 100 of 101 and yeah, unfortunately we got third but it was, it was the quality of the drive where a year or two ago Jack wouldn't have held him off for as long it probably would have been 5 to 10 laps where this time it was right, almost to the end we almost took the victory and it was, it was interesting to see Shane get out of the car and says I don't know who was in that car but I've got to shake your hand it's very rare for someone to hop out you know, and actually go wow you made me work and anyone who was there or saw the coverage I mean it was hair, hairs standing up for 20, 30 laps of just don't look away because if you look away you're going to miss some great racing and it was the top four cars were just nose or top five cars were nose to tail for pretty much the, the last run home and you know and that was just the the evolution of jack i mean his time in the uh, co-driving in the pertech cup was fantastic he did everything that was asked of him his feedback was precise clear the guys had a good direction of what he was saying um, he fitted in perfect he's still a, a year or so away from being able to take the main game on but uh, his progression has been fantastic. Uh, 
you know, I'd put him in any car we had. You know, he's just that type of guy. You know, he'll bolt in, he'll do an honest job, and you're going to get good positive feedback. You're going to get a guy who actually knows what he needs. He's not looking for things he's not sure of. Has your passion for motorsport waned at all over the over the journey, particularly the supercar journey, because it's such a different beast to what you were previously doing? To be honest, it hasn't waned. Um, there's been times when you've actually had to uh, sort of cop it on the chin and go, wow, I never saw that way of losing or you, know, you always try and not make the same mistake twice. So if you can keep going through and not making the same mistake twice, it's a great journey. But when you start making the same mistake twice, you've got to question what you're doing. Uh, we've been lucky enough that we haven't been tripping over the same mistakes. Um, every, every area that we've fallen over on or had a bit of difficulty on has been a new area. So it's always part of a learning curve. It um, doesn't matter how many ways you look at things and cover it to make it perfect. It's always some little small part going to let you down. It's always the cheapest, most yeah, useless part there that will knock on to the most expensive part. Um, so you always, you know, you, you go through cycles of, you know, the grind gets you. I think it actually it's not the racing that gets you, it's the travel. I mean, we spend more time in airports and hotels than anything else and, yeah, it's quite funny that when you do get the off-season break and you're supposed to go on holidays, the last thing you want to do is go to an airport or a hotel. So it sort of makes the holiday a bit interesting. You know, you suddenly think, well, am I going to go camping? Am I going to stay home? Or, you know, where can I go that won't feel like I'm going for work? <laughs> but that's that's probably the biggest interesting thing of motorsport is it's actually not the, the racing is the most enjoyable part of it. Everyone, you know, we always want to race. You know, we, we'd race as often as we can. It's the other garbage that goes with it, the... Yeah, the late nights, the early mornings. Yeah, we'll put up with all that. It's the travel that gets you, and and the time away from family and friends. Mm. But uh, we all do the same thing. We all suffer the same way. So that's why you seem to see that the teams become very tight because we all go through the same dramas. Yeah, we all get washed out like last year we did here with the storms. We're all in it together. We're all getting soaking wet. Yeah, it's one in all in, and yeah, because of that we seem to. You, you seem to generate your energy and your, and your drive from those around you. So if you've got a good positive bunch of guys around you who are, are just there to go racing and want to do the best, then you, it doesn't matter how long the season is, you'll get through it and you'll, you'll enjoy every minute of it. You may have times where you're yawning and tired and you're aching, but uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't swap it for the world. I mean, we, yeah, we'll finish a 12-hour or a 24 and you talk to the boys after the race and if you were to say you want to go do it again tomorrow, they'd say yes. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two level two boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. We touched on David Reynolds. He's a brand in his own right, and he's a, a different cat. How do, you, how do you make sure that David, who is a very fast driver, is not going to stray too far off the necessary path for a corporate race driver? 
I think the best way to make sure he doesn't stray is to make sure you stray further. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's sort of like, yeah, with kids, if you uh, live your life to the full, your kids normally live a bit more reserved. Yeah, like if you all want to jump off mountains and go skydiving, your kids normally won't do that. They'll see you doing it and you, they sort of go a bit tamer. So, you know, we do have an yeah, interesting sense of humour amongst our team. We do encourage you know, jokes and laughter. Uh, we find that a uh, you know, happy work environment is a good work environment. And, you know, comedy is part of the, the enjoyment of life. I mean, there's always something good to laugh at. Yeah, and also a good bit of laughter is good for the you know, the release of endorphins around the paddock. Sometimes it de-stresses you. So I mean, we're not going to try and change Dave. We're actually, you know, we, we've known Dave for quite a while, and you know, we quite like the guy as he as he is. Um, if there's anything we would do, we'd be trying to uh, direct him so he doesn't create a problem for himself that he doesn't have to. But. Uh, Outside that, no, I can't see any changes for David. If anything, uh, I think we've got a sharper sense of humour than he has, and he'll be in for a few shocks. <laughs> yeah, which is, yeah, I think it's going to be a great journey. I mean, he's looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it. Um, we always knew somewhere Dave would drive for us. We always thought it'd be GT, though. We always thought, yeah, he'd be one of our. You know, he'd drop in a GT event, maybe Spa or Sepang or Bathurst or somewhere. But uh, never thought it'd be uh, next year in the V8s. But you know, strangely enough, the silly season has been a great silly season this year. And um, we were never involved in it in the beginning. And the whole time it was it was going on, we always had this vibe of somewhere in there we're going to be part of it, even though we shouldn't be. We just had this feeling that somewhere in there the the the, the deck shuffle was not over. But I still believe that the deck shuffle isn't over yet either. I mean, besides driver allocation, I still say there's a lot of sponsor changes going on, uh, personnel changes in teams, even the categories going through changes with our new formats for next year. So I think the changes are going to keep going and going and going, and we'll never sit still. We never we never get complacent with what we've got because it keeps evolving. And I don't think that. Uh, as much as you know, the fans like consistency. You know, we do too as a team. You, you can never guarantee that. You just got to keep rolling with whatever comes at you. You know, it's no different to racing. You go out there on your slicks and it starts to rain. You got to decide when do you drop the wets on. Then you've got to decide when to go back. They're all choices you must make, and each choice has a consequence. But you are forced into those choices. Mm. And I, uh, sorry, I, I should have asked about Ash. Ash, I, I seem to remember he was signed for two years with you. Yes. Um, he sat out the last couple of races. Uh, where's his position moving forward? Um, to be honest, I don't know what's going on with the car four at the moment. What I do know is we did. The plan was always to have uh, Dean and uh, Alex for the last two rounds. Um, we needed to to understand the car better with the setups the way they're running. Ash and Will setups are so polar opposite that it's very hard to get consistent data across the two. So we needed to say, okay, Will's gone in a, you know, direction A, Ash has gone in direction C. We need to find something in the middle that's, but Ash couldn't drive towards that direction. So we needed to understand the car better. Uh, we looked at Dean Canto for the Phillip Island one, knowing that Phillip Island's a, a track that you you got to show commitment to. You know, there is consequence there, but it's not like Homebush here. And we knew that Dean being a quality driver, we've had Dean in the 12-hour, we know what he brings to the setup of a car. Uh, and also the fact that he'd never been in the car before was a great opportunity to put someone that had never seen it. So we wanted the worst-case scenario to develop it. And we always planned on having Alex for this weekend, knowing that Alex has had success here. Uh, Alex is a very methodical uh, at understanding a car. He's very mechanically minded. 
and what you get from Alex is a very, very, very clear direction. He knows what's going to happen with what he wants in changes. He's not looking at you know, the unknown. He's not guessing. You know, there's no stabs in the dark with Alex. He's actually not polar opposite to Will, but he is a very different type of person and type of driver to Will. Will has a huge uh, knowledge of the motorsport industry. Alex has a huge knowledge of the industry, plus he also has a huge knowledge of the machinery. So I think Alex is probably a bit more hands-on mechanically than Will. Uh, not that we expect him to be hands-on, but mentally he's more hands-on. So he has a bit more uh, mechanical input than, than Will would have. Well, Will's a bit more of a driver input, where Alex gets the driver side plus the mechanical side. So, you know, personally it's, it's great to work with the two of them. You know, when we had them in the, the Juro Cup together, what you knew about the car, you got a very similar car for both drivers. You, weren't ha- you didn't have two drivers looking for two different cars. So it was great to have that. You know, I can honestly say this weekend is the closest the car's ever been matched out of the truck. And it was only because Alex is able to drive in that setup. Um, with Ash, I mean, we think Ash is a great driver. He's fast. He needs to work on his racecraft a bit. Uh, also, he needs to toughen up a bit mentally. He has a future. Uh, we just didn't want to see him get flogged to the end of the year, then come here and then have a car that he puts into the wall and just destroy his year, that would. We needed to also find more for next year as part of our ongoing development because we're still, you know, as of now, we're about three years old in that engine. Uh, normally, you'd still have another two years in the factory before you'd release it to the public. So we're still prototyping it as, as a sense. And uh, if you look at any development car that's come out of a factory, they've spent five years of solid testing, solid understanding of the setup. We're still scratching the surface on that. And you're, unfortunately, you're racing 20-year-old engines. 20-year-old development uh, engines. 20 and 25 are yeah. the two uh, Ford and Holden ones. Uh, even the, the, the Nissan and Volvo have a bit more history in the engine than, than just in this sport. I mean, that Volvo engine has been running over in Europe for a while. So, you know, as much as they're having the same trouble with the development and understanding the engine and, and going forward, they've already got a better understanding. Also, they have the might of the factory behind They're them. They're not so, doing it in-house. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, we, we can also say we're doing it the hard way. You know, it's, but that was the, the way we had to do it to get the, the, the brand onto the grid. Um, you know, V8s wanted new brands. We wanted to bring a new brand. It was pointless just rolling out with another car that's already here. But, uh, you know, motorsport's an interesting thing. I mean, the brands that are here now, we don't know who are going to be here in 10 years. I mean, cars could evolve suddenly, you know, you know the car manufacturers out of China could be the next big manufacturers in the world. We don't know what's going on. You know, you just have to be prepared to move wherever it flows. It's been a pleasure having a chat with you and uh, hope you do get some sort of holiday, even if it is just in the uh, in the tent out of the backyard <laughs> over the uh, Christmas break and looking forward to seeing you at the Bathurst 12 hour in uh, the early part of next year. Oh, it'll be fantastic, uh, getting a, a small break. Uh, it'll be actually nice to spend time with the family over Christmas, uh, and then hopefully we don't get to spend too much time with the family over Christmas, because, you know, as families <laughs> are, you like to spend a little bit of time, and then then you realise they're family. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, the 12-hour will be fantastic, great way to start the year. I mean, from my point of view, we've always stated it'd be great to have the 12 hours at the beginning of the year and the 1,000 is the end. That would be a great way to bookend the year. Because, you know, technically in Australia, that is our high church of motorsport. And with Bathurst the way it is, it's a standalone event. Whether it's, you know, part of the championship or not, it has its own presence. So with the way the championship runs now, if you took a poll around the teams, they'd all say they've all got a very deflated mindset when they hit the Gold Coast. 
because we've come off the back of Bathurst. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what event you put after Bathurst, you're always going to be slightly deflated because mm-hmm. Bathurst is such a... It's an amazing week. I mean, some events are three, four days. That's a week. And uh, it's, it's one of the hardest weeks you, you, you do in the year. Uh, it'd just be nice to finish on that as our grand final because it would feel right. But uh, if you're at the 12-hour, you'll, you'll be lucky enough to see we'll have the new GTS out, which is uh, we'll have the first two in the region. Um, they will, won't be able to race due to homologation of the cars for that event, but they'll be uh, making their debut at uh, Clipsal. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see the two SLSs and the two GTSs at Clipsal. Well, thanks for your time once again. I hope you've enjoyed 2015 on Inside Supercars. We return in 2016 with a lot more, so stay with us here on the podcast. I hope you have a great New Year's Eve and look forward to having you join us once again on Inside Supercars next year. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.